You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. As Hernan Cortez sailed for the coast of Yucatan on February 18th of 1519, he had no idea of the wonders that lay before them. With 11 large Spanish ships carrying a little over 500 soldiers, the men landed and poured into Tabasco, arriving as men from beyond. Gods to some, dubious visitors to others. And one year later, Cortez would enter the capital, demanding to see the Hall of Gold. A great room so massive the Spanish claimed it held all the treasures of the world. Composed of not only gold and silver, but the literal metals of the gods. Earthbound materials somehow connected directly to another world. This moment in history ended in a level of bloodshed and torture that still permeates the landscape over 500 years later. An emperor killed, a treasure lost, and a curse laid upon it. Hundreds have searched for the contents of Montezuma's Great Hall. But today, wherever the treasure might lie, it is said to be guarded by soldiers of the living dead. Aztec warriors trapped in time forever guarding the entrance to perhaps multiple locations of this sacred hoard. Some modern-day treasure hunters have even seen and documented such Aztec apparitions, keeping them from entering caves or underwater hiding places. It is believed the treasure will one day unite the ancient peoples who once wandered out of a mysterious realm of Aztlan an exodus from a mythical, ancient homeland of unknown origins. But until then, the search continues, and the curse endures. Join us on Into the Portal, as we venture from ancient Mexico to 1920s Utah and discuss stories of ancient mythical realms, underground cities, cursed objects, and more, in search of Montezuma's gold.
Hello, everybody. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Yeah, we are back with a, <clears throat> I'd probably say a classic theme for ITP. Absolutely. Hunting for the lost, the unexplained, and all that kind of stuff, including some gold stuff. <laughs> <laughs> including some gold stuff. Gold stuff. Yeah, I would say gold not in, stuff. Not exclusively. <laughs> not exclusively gold, but indeed one of the most epic treasures pretty much in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. And we won't, we'll never actually truly know how massive it was and what fully comprised it. But nevertheless, it's mm. an epic story that involves, are... oh, it's crazy. The it, estimates it, are insane on the value. And then everything that's involved in this story really does go down some rabbit holes. It's bizarre. But before we get into it, though. Made for TV. It, it is. And there has been stuff yeah, on TV. Exactly. Before we get into all that, we yes. do have a couple of shout outs here. And uh, a quick cheers over to Stan Capizorio in South Africa, who did recommend this topic to us initially. Yes. And um, we do want to do another shout out to Larry Polmier. Cheers, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's been a big fan of the show and uh, he's part of our family. So, you know, <laughs> it's always yes. great to have that support. Yeah. Brother-in-law's so, dad. He's uh, he's an awesome guy. He's hilarious. And he's yeah. been listening to Into the Portal for a little while now. He's kind of just recently discovered us, I think. And he's been like just plowing through. So shout mm -hmm. out to Larry. Yeah. It's awesome. It's classic. We've got some new patrons too. We got Patrick Mulhone. Yes. And we've also got Daniel Burnett, Jessica Elder, Alejandro Esparza Jr. We got lots of people joining the fold. It's great. Yeah. Um, Yes. Yeah, we're, we're really blessed to have you all join uh, our fun little community over on Patreon. And of course, anyone who is uh, curious to check that out, just head over to uh, Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com yeah. slash Into portal. the portal. Into the portal. Into the portal. Into yes. the portal. You got okay. it. And it is linked in the show notes below, so you guys can get there that way too. So yeah, Patrick, Daniel, Jessica, Alejandro, mm -hmm. thank you guys so much. Awesome. Always makes our day, month, week, whenever you guys join on. So yeah. So like Andrew already alluded to, there is so much going on here. Like we're going down rabbit holes in and around like the beginning of when this legend occurred in the 1520s. So yes. we've got a span of about a hundred, hundreds of years, sorry, a few hundred years. Yeah. Know. And each chapter is totally different. It is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so just to tease the episode a little bit here, we've got some gold seeking ruthless conquistadors led by the legendary Cortez, which a lot of people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lost quote unquote lost because <laughs> no one knows where or when it was actually lost, but right. in and amongst a famous massacre. And uh, this is none other than uh, the Noche Triste of uh, of 1920 there. Mm -hmm. And um, all these crazy stories of just the sheer wealth of Montezuma and the Aztecs at the time of the invasion of the conquistadors, all these rumors of these chambers laden with gold, treasures, jade, all sorts of crazy things that were allegedly emptied and carted away by potentially thousands of Aztec loyalists ahead of this famous invasion mm -hmm. towards what may be their ancestral homelands, which we'll get into because this is a, yeah, a lot to speculate on here. Definitely. So what do you think, Andrew? Okay, what are yeah, some of the key I, questions I, we're getting into? Sure, I'll pick up. Yeah, okay, let's, that's a good spot to kind of transition mm -hmm. because like you literally just kind of left it off at there. It's like a fabled homeland. So that's one angle to this. A... a ancestral place that may or may not have existed that is wildly speculated on where it mm -hmm. could have been the american southwest is one such place exactly and it goes so far back into ancient history that it's really tough to sort of delineate who's related to who so mm -hmm. there's aztec 
connections possibly to indigenous peoples of the Americas mm -hmm. that could have a connection to this lost treasure as well. There's obviously the curse associated with mm -hmm. the actual treasure itself, which then has a direct connection to the gods because gold being one of the main things comprising this treasure, of course, mm -hmm. is uh, something known as the uh, excrement of the gods mm -hmm. in certain contexts, which is something we're going to get into as well. In the Aztec language. Yes, literally mm -hmm. substance of the gods. So needless to say, like we've already said, rabbit hole after rabbit hole to dive into in this complicated story, and especially like the legends of how this treasure was moved, who moved it, and obviously when, when and where, where it lies today. I believe it still exists somewhere. So that's what we're getting <laughs> into. So yeah, where and when it was exactly lost, the main players... Uh, Amber's already mentioned Cortez, Hernan Cortez mm -hmm. at the very onset of this story, and of course the key legends throughout it, and uh, some modern day players involved that we'll get into too. So mm -hmm. obviously we have to start at the beginning. So introduction to this story. Obviously a classic case, like Amber said, one of you know one that most people have heard of, just because you've you've taken a history class. And I think in a lot of high school history, this gets covered as well, right? The Conquistadors, Spanish Conquest, yeah. maybe more so in the States. I can't remember if we, if I cover that in history in, in, in Canadian um, high school. You know, thinking back, that wasn't a large part. For us, and we're so focused on the colonization of North America, yeah. and particularly Canada uh, for us and most of our social studies and history units. It wasn't until I got to university that I was really exposed to more of like the Mesoamerican experience yes. and, and yeah. down south below us. <laughs> and the mythologies and all that kind of stuff associated with it, right? Like, we, mm -hmm. yeah, I never studied me anything Mesoamerican, yeah, mythology, ancient Aztec, anything mm, like that in high yeah. school. No, not really. Because obviously on both sides, there's, there's bloodshed, there's different ideas, but of course the Spanish showed up and did some pretty nasty things. But we're going to trace the roots of this legend from the beginnings to modern day mm -hmm. and the multiple locations where people claim is the resting place of this most incredible treasure. Specifically, like Amber said, what it was, it was jade, turquoise, silver and gold, statues, items of various different shapes and sizes, coins, and other things too, like things made out of different like rare feathers, headdresses, and just general objects that you would you could potentially like picture in a museum, like a Smithsonian yes. type environment mm -hmm. that today, even more so than potentially back then, as far as like black market resale for these Spaniards, right, would have immense value. Yes. The yes, rarity of these things would be. It's in the billions of dollars. Estimated is, worth. Yeah. Is what <laughs> Insane. We're, we're looking for here, but obviously yeah. the intrinsic value, the, the historical value, the potentially like mystical value too. The archaeological to value, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, straight academic educational. Mm -hmm. So this is insane. We're going to get into all this. I think we should probably get into a little bit more about the origin of the Aztecs because it's their origin in and of itself is pretty mysterious. Mm -hmm. It is very mysterious. The the mighty Aztecs, a lot of people are familiar with that, but some people are less familiar with when and around, they actually were in their, what do you say, their their height. Yes. And it was a culture that rose and fell rather quickly by Western standards. Like, you know, like, say, uh, other examples to point to would be the Roman Empire, things like that. Oh, yeah, it was way quicker. It was, it was. It was roughly in this post-classic period between 1300 and, of course, 1521, uh, when all this kind of happened. Yeah. However, um, yeah, like we said, their origins are kind of shrouded in some mysteries, and they're is 
this very intriguing origin story that tells of an ancestral homeland of the Aztecs, somewhere to the north of the capital, perhaps, like we said, in America. And that is much speculated upon by those who are searching for this treasure to this day. Yeah. And this legendary origin story has the Aztec people migrating from a homeland called Aztlan, which uh, to what would become modern day Mexico City. Right. Yes. So while it's not really clear where Aztlan was at all, there is a there is um, a belief that this could be either metaphysical or it could be a literal. Literal, ancient place. literal ancient yeah. place, some version of their sort of paradise to a certain degree. It's like walking but, out of the Garden of Eden or something is kind of how it reads mm-hmm. a little bit. And obviously yeah. there's other mythologies attached to this we'll get into. But that's isn't isn't that kind of how it sounds, right? Like it's like, I mean, Atslan, <laughs> just the name itself has this very almost Atlantean it does. vibe to it. Yeah, that that is kind of an interesting connection there. So the legend kind of goes on to talk about how in this migration, at one point, they stopped, right? And right. Um, it was at the behest of their god. Um, who, yeah, Andrew that's a tough that one. one. I, it's, okay, Hitzio, well. Hitz, I'm going to say it. It starts with an H, though. Hitz, Hitz, uh, Hitzilpoctl. Poctly. That's a tough one. H-U-I-T-Z-I-L-O-P-O-C-H-T-L-I. That is tough. That's a mouthful. No wonder he was a deity. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> the harder the name, the more power you got. They're like, you just got the job, buddy. We're not even going to try. Yeah, we're not. Okay. Continuing so on. it was at the behest of this particular god that the construction of their capital began. There was specific instructions that were included in the legend, and it recounts that their god told them to find a settlement in the place where a giant eagle eating a snake was perched. On a cactus. There's always these bizarre landmark symbolism I've heard that stuff. before. I've heard that. It's interesting. Before. It's bizarre. It is. It is kind of cool. And so this was the birth of uh, Tenochtitlan, which uh, dates to about roughly uh, 1325 CE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would just keep expanding from there until the arrival of the fun conquistadors. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Just to Pretty go. Good. And then and then the section. Sorry, I just wanted to just. I, I, I don't mean to jump ahead on you here just because I'm yeah. looking at this next section of our notes where mm. because Atslan is obviously something that we're going to come back to and speculate on because that could very well be the sort of anchor point for searching for this treasure obviously right that's where yes it'll kind of circle back on us so we're covering a little bit of this now because modern day treasure hunters are alluding to the connection between this this fabled homeland this fabled origin land and to where perhaps the Aztecs might have gone once they were once their capital was basically taken over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you want to even mention this this part here now? Or should we save this for later? Just because obviously one of the early mentions of Atslan was that it's basically like an island, very much like Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Again, that sort of connection. So it was like this this land, this this sort of mythical white island. Yeah. Existing somewhere and nobody knew exactly where. Yeah, this island in uh, Utah in particular, in it is actually the largest island in the Great Salt Lake, and it's known as Fremont Island. Yeah. is actually one of these alleged maybe possible connections to the uh, Aztec peoples and this mythical homeland. So Fremont Island 
wasn't obviously named after its white explorer, of sure. course, very, you know, typical. Modern name. It's very modern typical. Name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it is very much steeped in human history dating back like thousands of years. So it's very mysterious. It, the peoples themselves aren't um, widely known their history because they were so isolated. Right. People yeah. are just starting to kind of um, pick together the pieces of who these people were. And uh, tribes such as the Paiute and Shoshone um, that inhabited this region. Yeah. So it's interesting because people have made connections between these uh, Utah indigenous peoples mm-hmm. and the Aztec languages. Yeah. So there is some similarities there. So could this place potentially have been Aztlan? Like it's right. kind of interesting to think about. It ties into a lot of themes that we've talked about recently, even with Kincaid's cave and some of the speculations mm. on the subterranean living and the ancient Anasazi and who oh, yeah. mm-hmm. who their ancestors even might have been. And then obviously some of the Pueblo yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. indigenous peoples in that area of uh, the Grand Canyon, Arizona have Mm -hmm. connections to them. It is a very convoluted melting pot of ancient history in this area of the American Southwest leading down into ancient Mexico. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is really fascinating. It's absolutely, it's very strange, really, when you think about it. it. There's a lot of allusions to, like, different stages and different worlds and peoples emerging from different, like, from past worlds into the present world and things like that. We actually have another reference to a particular snail, too, that we'll get into later <laughs> in this episode. Yes. And I have some interesting legends that we can tie into that as well. But right. let's get into more of this, like, Adslan. Sure. All this so, cool, like, origin mythology. Yes, because there is kind of more to it than just being like okay where is it you know people speculating it could be in various places of the american southwest but there's also this association with a particular legend of the seven caves Hmm. also known as the chico moztoc which is um, essentially this legend of an origin story of these seven different groups of people that would branch out and Hmm. essentially make up the major groups, indigenous populations living in modern-day Mexico today Mm -hmm. and Central America as well, like like leading down south of Mm. Mexico. So this is like the ancient Olmec, uh, obviously the ancient Aztec, and then various other groups as well. But this is fascinating because obviously these ancient seven caves is associated with this mythology of sort of coming from a subterranean other place, another world. Yes. the languages associated with this story are, like Amber just alluded to, based on a root indigenous language that is the Ute language, which is has commonalities shared with modern-day indigenous peoples of the American Southwest, the Aztecs, the Mexica, the Tepan- Tepaneca, Chalca, these various different ancient peoples. Mm. So there is a, clearly a connection here, and that's led people to some pretty wild speculations, including... I, the world's largest treasure <laughs> being possibly in their own backyard in places like Utah mm-hmm. or wherever you might be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah, it's pretty, it's fun to speculate on for sure. Pretty but cool. I think we should come back to the treasure, Cortez, the Spanish, the, the bloodshed. Whole, the bloodshed, yeah, the whole setting of when this legend sprang from, essentially. Because, yeah, with the, the arrival of Cortez, we had uh, the conquistadors basically, like, yeah, taking over, like, 
and, and like we all kind of like wonder in our heads, I think, when we look at this subject and examine the interactions between the Aztecs and the early Spanish conquistadors, it's like you have to wonder if these Aztec peoples really did regard them as the arrival of their gods. Because there is yeah. that common perception that like because of the technologies, because of the flourish and the pomp with which they arrived with their ships and their mm-hmm. peoples and their horses and everything else and their guns and all this kind of stuff. And the perfect timing. It'd and the, the perfect, perfect timing, yeah, because it did correspond with this particular like prophecy right yes or roughly within that um, prophecy but mm-hmm. exactly that like you said here it's like in the notes what are the odds of these spanish folks arriving showing up at the exact moment that these uh aztecs were awaiting for their gods to return it's very serendipitous for sure and that cortez would basically align nearly identically with what they were expecting mm-hmm. it was supposed to be this like you know like tall white skinned pale skinned like God on Earth, which mm-hmm. is basically what. So he was in at the form of a man, mm-hmm. but he. But that's exactly what they were getting. They were getting a, a much paler skinned Spanish Cortez yeah. showing up, yeah, and very confidently showing up because he obviously landed and he landed in Tabasco immediately starts getting information and yeah, does this thing. Anyway, you continue on here. Exactly. Yeah. We had some stats here with what he actually arrived with. Right. And it was a total of 11 large ships carrying over 500 soldiers, a crew of a hundred sailors on top of that. Yeah. Obviously they had ample provisions, including 16 horses and lots of other animals. Yes. And like you said, he did land in Tabasco and he used that time to gain intelligence from the local population. He did have uh, Malinch, who is a very, like, you know, um, I was going to say a very spectral figure. She's a legendary figure in all of this because she basically was the translator and is viewed by a lot of indigenous peoples as a traitor to a certain degree. And was she but, not his, like, m- like mistress as well? Some, Yeah, I think they definitely had that sort of relationship yeah <laughs> there's I mean, it probably just seems... a lot more like coercion than consent i imagine but... most likely but it wasn't it's kind of interesting because when he landed it was february 1519 so it wasn't until almost a year later uh, in november 8th of 1519 that he actually entered the capital right and uh and yeah. this was yeah exactly so this was interesting because it was a siege that covered it wasn't just like this one very decisive event, right? No, it was relatively peaceful it at the beginning. It was kind of, it was, yeah, in my head, I'm thinking it was kind of like more messy. But like you said, they took the capital without any bloodshed. No. This was actually one of the most densely populated cities that ever existed in Mesoamerica. Listen, so that's kind of, that's impressive, right? Absolutely. So and much like, order. That means that there was a high command that was in control. Like, you know? Yes. And, but also too, like obviously this build up to him actually arriving in the capital. Mm-hmm. You can only imagine what the legends, the word of mouth, the gossip mm-hmm. was of the, of, of um, the God that we're struggling to, to pronounce <laughs> throughout this episode you know, making his way to the capital finally, right? Because this would have been like the the uh, just you, you the the expectation would have just been at an all time high. Could you imagine what they would have mm-hmm. been expecting? Of course, it would have been easy for him. You, to You're just talking about the perception in. of the Aztecs and basically laying down arms and being like, "These are our gods entering our capital." So I think we are... I think that's the the mixed speculation. There's like this huge build up, so you're waiting to see what is actually going on here. Mm-hmm. So those who are of a like more critical thinking minds, which there definitely were, that gets glossed over in history. More of the ruling elite being hmm scratching. 
their heads thinking, man, this is a little fishy. Something's fishy about this. Whereas mm. perhaps the mainstream population was like, bow down right now. This is the this is the prophecy fulfilled. We don't need to ask questions at all. Actually, that's, so it's that's a little important. bit of a mix. And I think even if the ruling elite was questioning this, they wouldn't have done it openly because of the threat of violence. Not well of of not preserving order. Right. right. Yeah. And of keeping that, keeping your people maintained in that sort of structure of order is important, especially when you, like I just said, you got the most densely populated city ever exist. If they decide to stop, you know, believing in the system, then what do you have? Right. So essentially what happens here is you get a, a peaceful takeover of the capital. You actually do get you know, Montezuma being captured by the Spanish, held over a series of months and months. So this is like November to roughly April. And within that time, obviously, the the Spanish were privy to seeing this massive amount of wealth that had been accumulated within this empire. Yeah, like they asked to be taken to, in, in sort of the simplified version, to the treasure room. Exactly. So they're being asked. So that wouldn't you expect, or would you expect your gods to be asking to be led to their own excrement? <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm trying to wrap my head around what that really would mean to them, right? As an Aztec person perhaps believing that this might be a divine ruler coming down to whatever. Like, you're probably going to try to appease them as much as possible. But you, like you said, Andrew, the elite were probably having their own ideas. and They're probably ready. So they probably didn't show them Everything. much of anything at all. They probably showed him a fraction of what was really there. And even oh, is despite... Is what a lot of people speculate Exactly. Mm-hmm. And even despite that, the Spanish still, in their official records... Recorded, basically, mm-hmm. seeing all the treasures of the world found in a single room. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if they were only shown a fraction of this treasure, this was still what the the ever-plundering... Spe- like, the, the amounts of gold that the Spanish were accumulating in this period was massive. Mm-hmm. So for them to go into a room and be blown away would have taken a lot. It's pretty special, right? Pretty special. And it wasn't even just the fact that it was uh, all these treasures, all these riches, all these gems, all these, um, you know, um, um, valuable metals. It's the artistry with which they were made. And and it's it's incredible, even the few pieces, the few examples that we do have today uh, to look to. And it's just incredible, the workmanship. It definitely, it blew them away, to say the least. Uh, They... Of course, we're writing back to the Spanish crown. Like, you know, there's a lot of different account from a lot of different conquistadors and their interpretations of all these different things. And I think we have a couple descriptions going on. Here. Of the actual treasure itself? I think we do, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we do at some point here. All I don't right. have, I'm, not, not, I'm <laughs> not staring at any right this second. I'm sure we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. I will say that it is interesting that, like, the hall of treasures is how it's referred to in a few mm-hmm. different accounts and records. And that just sounds so familiar. It's It's very much like... King Cade's hmm. cave and the hall of the hall of records or treasures there is sort of oh, what yeah. it reminds me of. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And it, it makes you wonder. It's like a chicken and the egg situation for someone maybe <laughs> coming up with a story like a King Cade's cave. Or you cave, think? Right? Or you think King Cade came across the Aztecs' treasures? Well, sorry, saying. But then no, because then why would it have been Tibetan and mm. and Eastern and well, he in was, their descriptions? He was a, he was a gold-seeking layman. He was oh, an amateur. You know. oh, hey, that's actually that's an interesting speculation. There is a, actually one one fellow that will come up later on who did claim to, to have found some of the treasure. Because mm-hmm. that actually is part of the Seven Caves mythology, is that perhaps this has been split up mm-hmm. and is resting in various different locations. But we'll 
discuss that in a little bit. Montezuma was actually Montezuma II, believe it or not, is official. He was the son. He was really popular, though, and was held captive alive Mm -hmm. uh, as a peaceful captive, I think, because of this. Yeah. Because he was such, like, a popular ruler. Obviously, this didn't last, though. Eventually, this would all come to a head. And this isn't a straight history episode, you guys, so we want to really kind of, like, give you the, the important details here. And then get into the the paranormal, the bizarre, mm-hmm. because it does get quite bizarre. But of course, there's a ultimate level of deceit that the Spanish would carry out, leading to, like we've said multiple times, a lot of bloodshed. Cortez was actually busy battling uh, back his own Spanish empire, because at this point in time, he had gone relatively rogue. You know, he had realized how much wealth was in this new world. And how much control... He got a little power hungry. Oh, yes. yes. And uh, while he was actually trying to kind of keep control of developing his, in his mind, his newfound empire, not mm. the Spanish's more or less at this point in time, <laughs> his efforts overall would lead to, you know, from a bloodless coup in November of 1519, where Cortes held, holds Montezuma hostage in his own palace, to things getting much more murky shortly after this mm-hmm. because well, months after months mm-hmm. after this because well that's relatively short period of time mm-hmm. all things considered it's all falling apart <laughs> and things are very very murky there's yes. there's an event that takes place and montezuma may or may not have died he dies as far as the spanish records are considered mm-hmm. so according to spanish records montezuma his submission to the Spaniards essentially eroded the respect that his people had for him to such a great degree that when he attempted to address his Aztec subjects, his people, he was assaulted mm-hmm. with arrows and stones, mm-hmm. and he died from the wounds he suffered in that event roughly three days after. Mm-hmm. This sounds a little fishy, a little dubious, coming from strictly Spanish accounts, because Aztec records report that the Spanish straight up murdered yes the emperor yeah and cortez the forces of cortez you know go on to nearly destroy good portions of the city and they're slaughtering different nobles and high status mm. individuals as well but this may have all, yeah it all comes to just like a crazy night of just debauchery essentially more, more or less mm-hmm. probably several really it's a he said she said situation it's like when the canucks lost the stanley cup final in downtown vancouver except mm-hmm. way worse right <laughs> more or less but this is all super super murky and strange because we don't know who's telling the truth here some yes. suggest that there is a chance that montezuma may have in fact survived faked his own death somehow and allowed the spanish to replace him with this very placid vanilla successor who was mm-hmm. just totally just like a puppet ruler yeah. mm-hmm. and found a way to himself control the exodus of the treasure out of the aztec empire yeah that's one angle mm-hmm. that is pretty fascinating if he was able to well, do he that had, he had months to plan this and he had um he was surrounded by a court of his what would you refer to them as like not high priestesses and priests but just like that type of like the, his spiritual yeah. leaders his political leaders yeah. the whole like you know the elite were, was around him exactly so one of the legends goes that they tried to speared him out and may or may not have been successful and then the spanish tried to cover it up by saying that they that he was murdered by his own people right because right? that would have been like a huge 
fail for them, being like, yeah. they just let him get away. Exactly. So you'd rather him be dead than to have him escape. Of course. Right? To, to then build an uprising, possibly. Mm-hmm. To unite the peoples of the, of the lands, exactly. of the seven caves, potentially, even. Who knows, right? Yeah, totally. But the we kind of have to go with more or less the idea that he was killed. We just don't know by who. We, it happened yeah. sometime in April. Was it Cortez himself? Was it an order from, was it an accident from a Spaniard? We we don't really know. What's most important to note here, though, I think, is that Montezuma's body has never been found. No <laughs> burial location has ever been located, anything like that. So we don't know the ultimate fate of the mighty Montezuma or what orders he may have given for this treasure. There is a character uh, known as... Uh, I think it's Raymond Dillman, who's, yeah, mm. that's going to come up shortly here. But there's a third generation uh, treasure hunter, self-proclaimed treasure hunter and amateur archaeologist, Dan Dillman, who's his great-grandson, who claims that he has some compelling evidence that Montezuma II survived the quote-unquote Night of Tears mm-hmm. uh, event, Not and that he himself led this, like I just said, procession of possibly thousands of Aztec soldiers, loyalists, and or uh, slaves um, from various different subgroups in the area because that was a thing as well. It's so, it seemed to be, like Dan is suggesting that Montezuma, so he's suggesting that Montezuma survived his original death Mm -hmm. in April of that year of 1520. 1520. (laughs) And then also survived the Night of Tears. It was somewhere in the capital when all this was going down because that happened roughly, that was the night of June 30th slash July 1st of 19, sorry, 1920. I've said that a couple times. You keep saying 1920. I want to say the 19s, okay? You're stuck in Prohibition era here. I miss it. I I don't know if I'm into this 2000s era. (laughs) Get up with the 90s, everybody. Get up with the 90s. But anyways, so they're basically suggesting that Montezuma survived his original death, was hidden somewhere in the capital, never left until this night of tears, and basically tricked everyone into thinking he was dead and just... No, I mean, I don't know. That's one angle. Maybe okay. there's an angle where they, the Spanish kept him alive and wanted everyone to think he was dead because he could have been some sort of a bargaining chip for like, you know, finding the location of stuff that had been taken out of the city. Like, I don't, who knows? Hmm. I I don't know. It's obviously wild speculation. Okay. It throws off, Amber's really thrown off here with the timelines of things. I'm not thrown off. I just want to get it right. Very true. Very true. (laughs) Important to get it right, right? Well. Because we do have a couple of different quotes, direct quotes from conquistadors that were in and around the area and had some things to say about where Montezuma's body may have ended up. And Cortez himself, this is actually in a letter to the king and king and queen, <laughs> just the king of Spain, apparently, the queen wasn't involved, but he actually stated that he had told two of the, quote, Indians, and this is his words, not mine, that, um, that were captives of him to carry Montezuma on their shoulders to the people, and that what happened to him afterwards, he does not know, only that the war did not stop because of it, hmm. which is kind of interesting. There was another statement from Fray Francisco de Aguilar who said that he, Montezuma was lodged with other great lords and that with the approval of the captains, Cortez had them all killed, leaving not a single one alive. The later, later the bodies were removed and then thrown into porticos. And so that's according to Francisco de Aguilar. Who... So that like totally negates some other Spanish statements that says, that, that would say... He was killed by his own people. 
Yeah, that he was. That That's he was an open admission that by they were stoning. Yeah, he was being held captive with a bunch of. This other was elite. much later, mind you. True. This was, true. Yeah. Um, and who's to say that De Aguilar actually has a reputable account there's a lot of exaggerations apparently and people have yeah that's torn him a new one i think that is true there was another third quote we had here and this was from bernardito vasquez de tapia and mm-hmm. he was quoted as saying that uh montezuma was put in a burlap sack and was given to quote some indians who were his servants, to be taken away. Hmm. Um, as the Mexican warriors saw him dead, they assumed that the Spanish had killed him. This account is a little more vague as to what actually happened to, like, to cause the death yeah. of Montezuma. But either way, this buddy guy was no longer in the picture. <laughs> buddy guy. Buddy guy. And right. all yeah. of his treasures seemingly had disappeared with him. So that's yeah. where the, the mystery begins, right? This is the spark. Yeah, and obviously... In and around this time, clearly, this is when and where some sort of a curse would have been possibly laid yeah. on these objects. Individual objects or blanket curse across the whole treasure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're heading up to a promo break here, but before we get there, I have a couple questions I really want to just tease everyone with. Because one main one I have here is the, the treasure is gone. And they had this prophecy of the god... Um, that starts with an H and it's struggled to pronounce, finally arriving. And of course this happens as prophesized with Hernan Cortez in some ways. That's what it aesthetically looks like. But could the prophecy have actually come true simultaneously at the same time? Could their actual God have finally arrived to have helped taken the gold away, the oh. excrement of the gods? That's mm-hmm. one question that I have here. There's some strange ideas that um, have come up from some research I've done in the, uh, with John A. Keel's work. And mm-hmm. he talks about associations with deities and gods and obviously possibly aliens and interdimensional beings as well. But gold comes up in a lot of the ancient descriptions of not only deities, but other just sort of strange entities, I guess you can call them. And that's more or less what gods are. And he speculates on the possible need for gold in their communications or possibly their travel abilities, hmm. their abilities to actually show up in our world. Oh. And that's why gold is so heavily associated with that of the gods. Of course, that's wild speculation. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I will add one other little nugget. Just throw a little a wrench in nugget? there. A gold nugget. Yeah, maybe even a little corn nugget. A corn, gold corn. Well, because there is that story, and I believe this dates to the Mayan tradition, if I am not mistaken, and please, if I am wrong, <laughs> correct me. <laughs> um, but there was that story one of their many legends that had to do with the arrival of corn and the corn god, uh, it's told that he descended basically from the heavens, like from, from the above, sky. from the sky, and gifted this this gift of corn to the peoples. Right. And there's a lot more detail to the story, but obviously corn is very golden in color. It is. And again, associated with the gods, it's it's obviously very fruitful. The society was like... Based large, off of Exactly. It. A large portion of it was based off of the, the cultivation of this particular crop. Mm-hmm. And gold is very analogous to that, right? Gold nuggets, corn. Like, you know, it's, it's kind true, of interesting. That's true, actually. No, you know, that is true. It, that way? Mm-hmm. it is gold. It's treasure. I mean, you need it to survive. Mm-hmm. That's actually, that's, and, but obviously you're almost sort of um, referencing some possible even ancient aliens well, type stuff yeah. there too, right? Where, and ancient alien theorists will latch onto that quite heavily right. and use that as evidence that. They came and dropped the seeds. 
yeah, almost like a Prometheus type thing where mm-hmm. it's not the people themselves, but it's the, the resources. But that is an interesting connection, though, mm-hmm. because it does tie into this idea. Is like, could the treasure be in the quote unquote, the literal excrement of the gods or the substance of the gods, depending on what exact translation you want to take? Because mm-hmm. in some, it literally is the excrement as in the shit of the gods. Yeah. But could this have been taken to a, the fabled land? This is the connection mm-hmm. back to Atslan. Yeah. What does this mean? The land of their ancestral origins, is, could this have happened? Physically, by the Aztecs, carting it out with mm-hmm. 2,000 soldiers or some other way? Well, exactly. Could Montezuma have plotted and planned ahead in time before before uh, the conquistadors ever reached the capital? He right? had time. And had a, uh, like, basically, like, what would, a prop treasure hoard <laughs> so like right. we alluded to like a very small percentage of the treasure put on display for the conquistadors as they arrived so that they would be under the illusion that they had all the spoils basically at their doorstep yes and didn't have to go searching for it right and then meanwhile uh yeah montezuma cleverly has the back made door, arrangements man. yeah exactly yeah That's, and i for, to, to a treasure hunter to a indiana jones fan to Mm-hmm. Basically, anyone with that type of imagination for ancient stuff, that's just all bread and butter because mm-hmm. people are still looking for this today. It's time for a quick promo break for better help, but we'll be right back and head on a new trail uh, looking for this mass- massive treasure. We'll be right back. Do you feel as though there are things in your life that are holding you back? or that you could benefit from talking things out with a professional counselor? BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health and connect with a professional therapist online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. BetterHelp.com is safe and private, allowing you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, receiving thoughtful and timely responses in return. BetterHelp has over 300 licensed therapists who are available worldwide, and they have four communication modes. You can text, chat, phone call, or video chat. This makes getting the help you need not only convenient, but also reliable and regular, which can get you on track for the rest of your life. Best of all, it can be more affordable than most traditional options, and there is financial aid for those who qualify. We here at Into the Portal want everyone to be living their best lives, so why not get help? Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health? Go to betterhelp.com slash portal. Simply fill out a questionnaire that will help them assess your needs and get you matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash portal. And we're back. So yeah, make sure to check out betterhelp.com in the show notes below. All right, now's the time to start off on a trail that's a little bit more modern. We're heading into the era of uh, around 1915 and a very interesting char- character, mm-hmm. about four, so about 400 years, roughly speaking, after this event and after the exodus of the world's largest treasure. So now it's time to... Allegedly. Get, allegedly. Hmm. Yeah, I'm buying it. I'm buying it. So now it's time to get into uh, probably the most central figure of today's story, uh, Mr. Freddie Crystal. 
Yeah, this is a very interesting character yeah, so that we hadn't come Freddy across Crystal until emerges we and the start of a new age of this lost treasure begins. Yes. So Freddy's story begins in 1914 in Utah. And he was actually a prospector and simply known as Freddy Crystal. We could not come across any outside references to this individual fellow mm. other than references to this particular story. So interesting, may or may not have existed. We're going to assume he existed just for the premise of this episode. Well, he definitely existed. Whether or not the actual name Freddy was a real was his real name is yes. is, is up for up for debate. Exactly. Yeah. But the story begins that he arrived in this small, dusty, simple town of Kanab, Utah. Kanab. Kanab, Utah. And it was inhabited by uh, what's known as Latter-day Saints. So it was a typical Mormon farming community. They're, the folks living there were not typically prone to believing fantastical stories involving lost Aztec treasure and cursed gold and Montezuma and all this crazy stuff. Right. But um, this character was about to bring that to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was about to kind of... He was about to burst their bubble. He was going to throw a bit. monkey wrench into the, the regular uh, Sunday Mormon mass here, exactly. whatever you would call it. Exactly. And so this colorful character rode into town approximately 300 miles from his current hometown in search of petroglyphs. Right. So the people of uh, this town, Kanab, actually had to put up with Freddy for about two years um, at the outset here. Yeah. As he searched for the clue to the source of this mythical treasure that he had witnessed in his visions. A vision, indeed. <laughs> yeah, we're getting the. This is where it starts to get so, a little paranormal for you guys. Exactly. Yes, we're talking visions. Because the story goes that this vision of Aztec gold had come to Freddy before he had ever known anything about this treasure. Right. So yeah. he claims. And it happened while he was working in a mining town in Idaho. And he was involved in an accident where he was hit on the head with a tool and essentially ended up not in a coma, but he ended up in kind of a severe state for a few days. Yes. But during this time, this hazy time, he witnessed what he calls a panorama. And this was a vision that was quite strange indeed. Yes. <clears throat> and the details of this vision, Freddie Freddy includes uh, descriptions of Aztecs traveling from Mexico through the states of what he knows as Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, all the way up the Colorado River and eventually southern Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he witnessed what he calls a procession of slaves that were carrying massive amounts of artifacts treasures and were guarded by soldiers right Mm -hmm. yes there was one petroglyph that had appeared in his vision in particular however freddie had no idea where to begin to look for this particular petroglyph that supposedly indicated the location of this treasure the entrance to the to the temple of all this wealth yeah right until that is one day he happened to see the exact same petroglyph that had been photographed by a Mormon minister named Levi Young, who had been making the rounds in Kanab. And he happened to be documented in a local newspaper that Freddie happened to pick up one fateful day 300 miles away in 1914. Crazy, right? Pretty bizarre. Pretty insane. So Freddie gets on his bike, pedals all the way down to Kanab, Utah, and ends up just kind of knocking on doors and kind of disturbing the townsfolk a little bit. He's bumming around. He's couch surfing he a little is. bit. He's uh, 
He doesn't have a place to stay. He ends up uh, befriending a man named Oscar Robinson, mm-hmm. who was intrigued enough by Freddy's tales to let him stay at his ranch while he continued his search for this petroglyph. So he has the town, but he doesn't have the location of this petroglyph. Yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking, why wouldn't he try and track down Levi and get him to show him where he had photographed the original petroglyph? But I guess Levi had gone on his way and he wasn't in the picture anymore. I'm trying to remember it, too. It's actually kind of funny because I didn't include an image here what the petroglyph was of exactly again i know it comes up down in our theory section the one that i remember seeing looked like a sour soother with like a couple of like markings (laughs) through it it was like had like a circle and then anyways it's not like it's anything so profound that it's like an exact aztec symbol or something like that it's a little bit more vague per se well what if it was like literally like just aztec graffiti or just indigenous graffiti like ute graffiti where it was like literally their version of fu and you could find that anywhere scattered throughout the whole like what if it's not just one symbol one instance of the symbol what if it's repeated in multiple locations i guess he obviously know well he had a hard time finding it at all though so clearly it wasn't that common exactly so that's kind of where yeah right but i I had that thought though i was like what if he was just looking for like something that was just like way more modern potentially Age graffiti, right? <laughs> it wow. means nothing. It's just, but anyways, so he would essentially stay there for about two years, right? And the whole time searching for this this visionary petroglyph. This obviously is a super rugged and expansive country, so there's a lot of places to look. And interestingly enough, one day Freddie heard by word of mouth that a farmer in a nearby property, located not even a hundred or so meters away from where he was staying, I think it was like. 50 meters away from where he was It was pretty close. It was pretty close. And he actually had the petroglyphs on his property. And so Freddie approached this farmer only to find out that he had actually destroyed the glyphs to make himself a hay shelter. And so he'd actually, like, taken some TNT and, like, bombed out the whole side of this. Yeah, he blew up all the rock. Exactly. So the story goes, dismayed and depressed, Freddie disappeared just as soon as he had appeared in the community. He's a ghostly figure, this Freddy. Where did he go? Floating in and out. Hmm. He was clearly not, like, driven away enough by this uh, (laughs) blow, pun intended, uh, Hmm. with the dynamite there, because he ends up going to search for further evidence to try to corroborate his vision, Mm -hmm. which I still think is possibly one of the most paranormal elements of this. It's like, why him? Why not a modern-day Aztec? Did he tap this into vision. something when he hit his head in that particular location that made him tap into a frequency or something that, like, you know what I mean? And or, it's not the first time we've heard stories like that. I mean, it's sort of me, cliche, he was envisioning but, a past life. Ooh. And he was actually part of that tribe traveling. Potentially. Who's to no say idea. Who's to say you have to be, like, an in- indigenous member to, like, say, you know, 400 years later have a spirit of something yeah, past life, like you said. Who's to say? Well, that's interesting. Could there, be. We have an episode coming out probably in the new year at some point that's going to be talking about past lives and reincarnation and one British woman who claimed to have been an Egyptian queen reincarnated. So that's and a really cool example. Had the, had the evidence to back that Right? Up too. Yeah. So stuff like this, you know, you can't discount it entirely. It's true. So anyway, Freddie does leave leave Kenab. He's sort of done there because he's just, the people are getting kind of ticked off at him too, and he doesn't really have any more evidence to go off of. He doesn't have a direction. He's nothing to go. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. what does he decide to do? Naturally, the only place he can go now to try to find evidence to corroborate this treasure hunt he's on is to go to Mexico City. So he, he journeys down through to Mexico City, where he allegedly hears rumors that there was one particular Aztec soldier 
that had been trying to escape during one of these final final days in the fall of the capital, but was captured by the Spanish. He, unlike so many others, because this would have been rare, had a map <laughs> that allegedly showed the route taken of the Aztecs transporting the treasure in tow. So, but in the conquest by the Spanish and further just struggles in the movement of these objects, and obviously it would have been tough to catalog and document things as you're battling, you know, people in the jungle and like trying to conquer a place, right? Like it would have been hard to keep track of things. Mm -hmm. And so in this, the map allegedly is lost, Hmm. but it turns up again. And somehow it appears in records that survived into the 1900s. Okay, so this is, I'm pausing here because this is the stuff of legends. This is Indiana Jones type stuff. This is him in the third movie (laughs) crawling out of the sewers in Venice type (laughs) stuff, right? Like the records are still there somehow, some way. Exactly. And this is all coming from like Freddy's mouth. But again, it's documents or anything like that. But it's so easy for us to say that, though. It's like, here's a guy who is clearly, it's like, if he was associated with, like, a university or something, then we'd be like, oh, great, he's legit. Even though it's like, well, how does that really make it anymore legit? Mm. He's not taking photographs. He's not carrying a video cell phone. It's 1915 at this point. (laughs) You know, he's avoiding the First World War, clearly, and, and, and moseying around. But Freddie was persistent. And whether you want to believe this or not, Amber... He basically is, like, rummaging through various different places, or asking around. He's researching, and eventually he gets catch, catches wind of some documents from the colonial records being held in a certain cathedral, mm-hmm. in the basement of this An one cathedral. unnamed cathedral. Yeah, which or I'm temple sure, or like which I'm sure there's a lot in Mexico City. Yeah. I wonder how many churches there are in Mexico City. I wonder. Thousands, probably. <laughs> even done. I, Somewhere in the neighborhood. If yeah. we have any listeners uh, from Mexico City, please hit us up and let us know. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, he goes into the records in this one particular church basement, rummaging around. I think he spent several days, um, mm. if I'm not mistaken. He finally finds this map. Not that he was looking for it specifically, he was just looking for. I mean, pretty much, he would have been happy with anything. Mm-hmm. But of course, he does find this map from the story of this yeah. Aztec soldier. Even if you had, say, a description from a colonial Spanish person that was, like, yeah. recording the torture of these individuals, right? These Aztec warriors and things like that. Exactly. And had maybe made a description or noted something of, like, value to him. Right. Like, but he happens to find the actual map, hey? Yeah. Who would have guessed? And why would it just... Why would no one, like, you know, (laughs) I get what you're saying with, like, the tumultuous nature of what was happening during the 1500s and stuff like that, but... I think, I think... How the heck? The argument maybe would be that, like, someone who maybe would have seen it and not thought anything of it, because it's not like it says Aztec treasure map on it. It's just this sort of unassuming... Uh, document that's clearly mm-hmm. a map of something, but it maybe looked possibly unfinished to somebody looking at it because it's yeah. va- it's vague and undetailed without like literal descriptions of what to do. Because Freddie studies this map and basically sees that it's describing an area with a cliff, a massive cliff, mm-hmm. with steps leading up to the top a narrow entranceway somewhere in this area. Yeah, Does that ring like any bells? That sounds way. a lot like a uh, Mr. Kincaid. Hmm. That sounds strikingly similar, does. right? Yeah. This area then at the top, this entranceway, is framed by uh, an area below that was an extensive marsh, at least at some point. At the time. Exactly. Like at the time mm-hmm. of the description, so mm-hmm. 400 years before, presumably. 
as well. And most importantly, the map described seven mountains surrounding this area of the cliff. Yes. Yeah. Does this ring a bell, anybody? Mm -hmm. We haven't quite got into it, but seven caves, origins of the seven caves, and the seven mountains of this map. I find that to be a serendipitous thing. So he believed that he had found the spot where he could match the geo landmarks, the seven mountains, Mm -hmm. and then hopefully find the petroglyph that he had already been looking for. So this map leads him back towards Kanab, Utah, just outside of, uh, I think it was it was either Johnson or Johnston. I may have uh, mistyped this here, mm-hmm. but a canyon just outside of, of Kanab. And it showed him to essentially look for exactly these things. So he starts looking for a marsh, seven, seven mountains, and this high cliff with some sort of a cave system. Freddie knew that he would have to be really careful, though, because the legend spoke of ghosts guarding mm-hmm. the entrance of this cave. Yes, Aztec warriors guarding the, the cave and, right. and yeah, basically setting a curse upon anyone who would dare to uh, disturb it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the physical capa- capabilities of these spirits were believed to be very real amongst the indigenous peoples there. Like, they were almost like had poltergeist-like abilities, right? It's not just a spirit. It's something that can very much reach out and touch you, do Mm -hmm. things. And there may have not have been uh, other sorts of hazards, other sorts of traps and booby, you know, booby traps and all that sort of thing. Right. Okay, so Freddy's looking in Kanab. He's back there again. And one day, he's actually out on Thanksgiving. This is still in, uh, this is still in 1915, if I'm not mistaken. He has a couple of local helpers that had actually decided to give him a hand. They were young, like, farm hands, basically. Actually, this wouldn't have been 1916. This oh, 16, been, sorry. No, 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 this wouldn't have been. This would have been six years later. It took him a whole six years to find the map My mistake. Back. That, that's so right. My 14, mistake. 14, so it would have been, like, 1920. R- around 1920. Mm-hmm. My mistake. That's right. So, yeah, obviously, yeah, he's not hopping flights here, people. He's not flying to Mexico City and flying <laughs> he back. Probably, he took probably him, biked all the way there. <laughs> this is dedication, too, of this guy, right? I like, wonder, he's literally yeah. dedicated his entire life. He's a prospector. Why not? I mean, what is else, he a prospector, he though? He he's, was, yeah. He's a treasure hunter more he, than a prospector, i He say. was a prospector originally, is how he's described. And when he was yeah. mining, that was where his original accident happened, and that's where... Sure, sure. I honestly more so like to believe that he had heard other legends from other miners about this sort of treasure. And, like, they probably all were sitting around the fire joking about it, like, oh, what if one day we come across the Aztec treasure? <laughs> and then he ends and up then getting he ends hit up on the head, vision. Has, has this vision. Mm-hmm. But then somehow, some way, this vision does actually have some like corroborating, like real world landmarks yeah. and like legitimacy to it. If it's you quite strange. It, or right? if he's able to interpret in a way that favors his conclusions, you know what I mean? That's another thing. Well, there is things that happen though that are def- that are quite strange and definitive. So he keeps looking. He's out on Thanksgiving Day. He's got a couple helpers. Alvin Judd, mm-hmm. whose family members are prominent in this story, continuing on, and Cowhide Adams. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously a nickname, unless his name first name was Cowhide. Wouldn't put it past uh, Canab. Hey, Mudflap, Cowhide, you know. Mudflap, Cowhide, it's possible. <laughs> These guys actually discovered the alleged entrance that was described in the map, or mm-hmm. at least so they thought. So, so mm-hmm. uh, Freddie's thinking at the time. They even found the, the steps that had been quite decayed at this point, but essentially they had the mountains there. They found this entrance. And everything was sort of matching up. What was bizarre, though, is that over top of this entrance point, there was almost some sort of a limestone mortar, like something that had clearly been mixed by someone okay. and placed there. So it looked very deliberate, is what right. you're saying. Mm-hmm. Basically, right? And this is only 20, this is, you know, 
20 miles is like the closest location for getting this type of rock to of limestone oh, to do this mixture. So it's not like that's not ridiculously far, but it, but it would have been effort. Very intentional. Yeah. Very intentional. Mm-hmm. So someone must have deliberately brought it there to seal up the entrance to the cave. Mm-hmm. Or use it for booby traps because as soon as crystals, they start scraping away this limestone. They basically just have some jackknives and whatever they had with them. They scrape it away and are able to break through and enter. Crystal goes inside. He tells Cowhide Adams and Judd to wait behind him. Kind of a classic way to tell the story, right? I go in by myself. But he does. <laughs> he goes inside and... Almost immediately, a boulder comes, there's a there's a weird snapping sound, and a boulder comes crashing down on his leg. He's seriously injured. He ends up calling out, and uh, Alvin uh, Alvin and uh, Cowhide have to come in and haul him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to, like, carry him back down. So this, to some people, is perhaps the first sign of the curse mm-hmm. of Montezuma, or at, le- at the very least, that there's a very physical, real booby trap set by a human hand. Yeah. To guard something. What's Why? it guarding? When was it set? When was this thing sealed up? I wish we'd had like people there that could have dated the materials, things like that. Hey, that right. Been, oh, fascinating. Of course, this was enough to get the rest of the town of Kanab excited mm-hmm. because they weren't excited before. But now they've got a couple of local boys who can attest to this happening. Yeah. And clearly there was something interesting inside this cave. Yeah. Exactly. So almost the entire town, there's photos of this. It's pretty, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite incredible. Almost the entire town of Kanab in the 1920s ends up pitching in to try to dig out what they were now convinced was the treasure of Montezuma. Everything from like school teachers to bankers to shop owners, everyone's out there. Oh, yeah. To the the extent that it's almost a ghost town, Kanab becomes almost like desolate. And it's all highly secretive, too. Yes. They're trying to keep it under wraps because they want, because basically Freddie tells them anyone that helps out gets a share. Yeah. They were all going to split it. So everyone got super excited about it. In fact, the town council even made it a bylaw that no one was to speak a word of the treasure. (laughs) That was like a written into their local bylaws. And actually something they used to do as well, they would leave a few sort of decoy uh, townsfolk back mm-hmm. in town mm-hmm. so that it would still have the appearance of a functioning town. The post office would still have somebody around. Oh my There would be someone dusting a dusting a storefront just to make it look like the town was there when literally <sighs> 98% of the t- population was out digging for the treasure. You have to imagine that amount of dedication because they didn't have modern day equipment. All they had was pails, they had shovels, they had wheelbarrows at the extent of it. You know what I mean? And for them to dedicate two years, right? This is this is a long, long stint. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine their lives would have fallen apart in the meantime? I mean, yeah, they had to, it was precarious the because they had they didn't make a lot of money. They How, were had to they were, they were farmers. Seven so days who a was week. Farming? Seven days a week, right? Well mm-hmm. they were putting in full days. I don't think people were getting a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Putting in some shifts to dig out the treasure. And they kept going deeper and deeper. And I think that's what's bizarre about this part of the story too. It's like clearly what they were going into, these they kept they kept reaching more and more chambers. Yeah. So these townspeople Tunnels are helping and... Freddie dig two years, like Amber just said. They keep going and each I can't remember the exact distances, but you know, several hundred feet each time mm-hmm. they reach these series of chambers that are semi-natural. Like yeah, they're sort they of naturally occurring, but they've possibly been modified, modified yeah. by human hands. And they just keep going deeper and deeper. There's nothing in these chambers. Yeah, they just keep going. They just keep going deeper and deeper until 
two years in, they finally reach what is to them this final chamber. There's nowhere else to dig. There's no other further well, plastered they, holes. They burst through the rock, didn't they? they yeah, burst through they, the other side. So they opened up the chamber for to the other side. They did, but before they did that, they had basically re- they, what they had reached was the final chamber. Yeah, yeah like yeah. and there wasn't anything there. So, so they reach this final, quite large room, essentially. And apparently, now this is actually something I really tried to find and corroborate. There was statements from some of the locals that they had found a, quote, Spanish helmet Mm -hmm. and sandals Hmm. inside this chamber. If that's true, it's absolutely bizarre. It obviously throws a total other monkey wrench into the story. It's like, Mm -hmm. could the treasure have been... Uh, carted out of the capital by Aztec soldiers, but could there have been a group of mercenary Spanish following them? Yeah. And somehow, some way, maybe a fraction of the treasure was stolen and hidden in there by the Spanish, not by the Aztecs, because why would a Spanish helmet be mm. there? Or even if you want to flip that over on its head and think that maybe the contingent of, not fleeing, I will phrase it, but just like of basically the procession leaving the capital with this treasure what if they had managed to wrangle a couple of spanish soldiers and had them under their control and they were basically being forced to help them bring the treasure and then in that sense maybe they were (laughs) sacrificed after they met their well we do know that the aztecs practiced sacrifice Mm -hmm. ritual sacrifice uh, so having a couple of extra Spanish kicking around to uh, perform some rituals probably wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of the local artifacts that come up later in this story as well as evidence, one was the sacrificial stone. I think it was outside yeah. or near uh, the modern day Dillman home or, some, yeah. or the Judd home. The Judd where home. It looks, yeah, it looked like very much like an Aztec sacrificial altar with even the 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 spout where the blood would flow. Yeah, yeah, the, the gutter, the you mean, the through gutter. the rock. Yeah, that was perfectly right. aligned with, like, basically the shape of, like, exactly. a human would fit perfectly on there. The alignment of the stone itself would have been perfect for an altar-like setting mm. with blood draining away down. Like, you know, all this crazy stuff. But Gnarly. So could this have been a temporary hiding place? That's sort of what Freddy's thinking because, of course, the townspeople are pissed. They've now realized they've wasted, in their minds, they've given up. But Freddy's yes. not given up. no. He actually came to another conclusion after studying the map again, and he thought it could have been actually at the base of where they had been digging this whole time and essentially depositing all of the materials that they were digging out. So they were burying yeah. the treasure even more in his mind. So and they in had that to sense, go... it's almost like the map itself was a booby trap. trap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. It's, it's leading you in the wrong direction, or it's leading you in the right direction to an extent, but to such an extent that it completely prevents oh, yeah. you from access. And then it. meanwhile, the Aztec ghost soldiers are mocking you and laughing at you and being like, <laughs> you know, and all they leave you. for you to find there in your fake treasure chamber is a pair of sandals and an old Spanish helmet. Yeah. Is that, could that have been? How ironic, right? How ironic. <laughs> but it is interesting because could that have been only part of it anyway? Mm-hmm. Even if it, even if it was covered up by two years of digging, of, maybe this is yeah. only part of the treasure. Although, even so, it's pretty upsetting to think that possibly that it's even covered up by digging in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but Freddie believed that the tunnels he found, you know, could have just been temporary. There could have been more to find. Unfortunately, mm. he doesn't really get much more time to go looking because Freddie Crystal is mysteriously murdered sometime in the early 1920s. Allegedly. Mm. He's, he's definitely dead. That's for sure. Whether or not he was 
shanked or just disappeared or went back to Mexico, nobody really knows. Yeah. But the story goes that he was likely killed and disposed of by angry towns people of Kanab who had lost their livelihood, some of which who had maybe mm. lost some of their livelihoods at the under the guise of getting wealthy off of an Aztec treasure. Yeah. Um, from a charlatan. Yeah. In, in That's how he Freddy, was viewed Freddy in the Crystal. end. Because in my mind, I go back to his original premise, Freddy, and his, in his vision, and was he mistaken in his assumption that the petroglyph he saw in that panorama, as he describes it, is the starting point for the location of the treasure because how far away was the spot they ended up digging in away from that original location that supposedly had that petroglyph right. on it that was destroyed by the, that's by a the good, property owner. That's a good question. So I'm kind of curious about that. We don't actually have any maps to kind of help us guide us in that regard. No, and I think that is don't. actually intentional on the part of these people that have gone looking for this treasure because... Yeah, as we as this curse kind of becomes more and more real, a lot of people become more and more afraid. Well, and that's just it. Like, that's a perfect transition there. It's mm-hmm. like, is this the final iteration for uh, Freddy Crystal of the curse? I mean, he was on mm-hmm. the trail of this and his him being too inquisitive. The ancient spirits caught on to this and clearly yeah. finished him off. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was really close and they finished him, <laughs> finished him off. I they, think that's sort of the speculation of the curse there. Well, exactly. And maybe him even going back to Mexico and finding this map was all part of their <laughs> the plot to curse him. <laughs> if you really want to get into it. Oh, that's some dark. nefarious spirits here. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's like they sent him on a goose chase just yeah. so he could end up Just to torture cursed. him for years. <laughs> Years and years. Anyways. We are heading years later. We're we are a few heading decades later. This yeah, doesn't end. Decades going. later. So we're jumping up from the 1920s now into the 70s. And we get the appearance of another treasure hunter by the name of Raymond Dillman. And he actually showed up on the Judd property of all places. Yeah. And Remember like Freddie. <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's just recap that. So Alvin Judd was one of Freddie's original helpers. Yes. And he was there at the time that the original entrance was uncovered, helped bring Freddie back to town after he was injured and was heavily involved yeah. in the search after. And his family's and, still there. And his family's still there. And there are people like he actually was still going out there himself for, for decades after. And his family kind of talks about that, how yeah. he never gave up unlike a lot of the townsfolk. So I guess Raymond Dillman gets wind of this too. And like Freddie, he was actually talking about the treasure and also something else. Mm-hmm. So he actually shows up one day startling Orel Judd, who is the elderly sort of like matronly, like mother, head of the, head of the family yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And she's, I think she's either the granddaughter or the daughter of Alvin Judd. Right. And she is also the mother of the current Judd brothers who are featured in a lot of documentaries and they are currently still, well, they're not currently still searching, but they have searched extensively for the treasure. They have, yeah. The Dillmans are still searching. The Dillmans are still searching. Exactly. So he ends up questioning Orel Judd about none other than some petroglyphs. Hmm, so we're on to more petroglyphs. And Raymond Dillman was looking for particular petroglyphs. So he was after an image of three animals in a row with three circles underneath. Yeah. So the reason he was searching these, I'll get into in a second here. But the interesting thing is that after he showed this description to Orel, she actually said, yes, I do have these petroglyphs on my property. They were a match. And she went out and kindly showed him that same day. So these petroglyph markings were originated from what's known as the Peralta Stones. 
And these are saw, these stones are thought by some, including Dillman, to show a map to where the uh, treasure is located, essentially. Yes. But these are sp- some special stones here, okay? Because they're <laughs> not just associated with this particular story. They also allegedly contain secrets to more than one treasure. Uh-huh. Because uh, there's indications that it may be connected to the famed du- lost Dutchman gold mine. Yes. This is in Arizona. The, so, the Dutchman. So just, yeah. a, just a state over there. And so interestingly enough, it comes up in other legends. And these are highly controversial stones. A lot of people do believe them to be fakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the most controversial potential fakes, actually. <laughs> exactly. It's like when we talked about that the fake artifacts remember when we did that one episode where we talked about the yeah like the ancient hammer, the hammer potentially from that's like a 50 million year old hammer or something sure Anyways, sure all that kind of stuff so it's kind of in that same camp so let's get back to the story here because it's quite fast so the story goes that raymond dillman along with orel's two sons they began to dig on the property because the sons were quite convinced that this was a startling new lead that they needed to pursue and they're using an excavator. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, they ain't scraping things away like uh, Freddie was back in the day. No, no. But only after a few days of digging in this particular location, they actually ended up uncovering a bunch of bones. Yeah. Many of them actually coming from burned bodies. This was actually very, like, it was very obvious. Something had dramatic had happened. Yes. Yeah. And along with these bodies, they actually found pots. And one of them was actually filled with turquoise beads. And later on, they would find the sacrificial stone. This didn't happen the very same. I think they uncovered a a bit more material and they uncovered this, what they called a sacrificial stone. Yes. And it was about seven to eight feet across. It was located close to the edge of a cliff, actually. A cliff, you say? And it was large enough to have a human, a full-size human laid out on it. And like Angie said, this did have a trench or like a drain, quote unquote, leading down the center away from the top of the stone, basically right where a person's heart would be. Perfect. So this is very quintessential like Aztec sacrificial ceremony. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, these bones didn't date to the right time. So they were about 2000 BC. So that's about 4000 years old. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And many of them did actually show signs of cannibalism. So they were there was tool marks and uh, you know general evidence that they had been eaten. So it's strange just to just to just to throw this in here that like mm. that whether or not like I know you'll get to this in a sec, but like obviously even if you speculate if people have like their doubts about the Peralta stones, obviously that was the origin of this search, mm-hmm. and they find something whether it's associated yeah. with the treasure or not. It's an intriguing archaeological find, and that's what keeps happening. It's a head scratcher. <laughs> it is. So they being intentionally misled down these like, you know, these rabbit holes where they're never going to find what they're actually searching for. Who knows? But along with these bodies, it, it wasn't just the fact that they found these bodies. It was like very curious the way that they were because they're basically it was just like a dumping ground. Yeah. They were found stuffed into small holes with stones placed over top. So it's almost like it literally reminds me of like Weird, um, right? a prehistoric garbage can. Doesn't it? Where else would you put bones and bodies where you don't want it to stink? Also, that sounds sort of similar to like, it almost, I mean, again, like this is just me right off the top of my head speculating, but it reminds me of um, like vampire burials where they place the stone on top of, I think it's the Mm, chest or sometimes decapitated and put in in the, uh, it's put in the heads put down in between the legs and then there's stones placed. That almost is similar to that. It's like where these Mm. bodies being kept 
Like, is it no. placed on top? It wasn't like that. It was like, okay, so picture this, like a small hole in the rock, like limestone rock type thing where it's right, like, you know, right, kind right. of probably naturally formed. And you're just like dumping all the bodies, all the bones, all the stuff in there. It's all just like one big heaping pile. Hmm. And then once it's full, that's when you seal it. You're just like, it's almost like, okay, this is a bunch of garbage. It's what we do at landfills. We just cover it up. That's what it looks <laughs> like. Yeah. So, so that's are basically these... an ancient burial ground they had uncovered. Of sacrifices. Yes. Likely. And <laughs> It's interesting because they went on to, to to dig quite a bit more and never uncovered anything else. Right. They never right. really came across anything. And there were some direct quotes from the Judd brothers in this one particular documentary we watched. And they basically said that they had communicated with local indigenous elders right. who had basically confirmed their suspicions that there is something out there but that they shouldn't go looking for it. Right. It's not their time. It's, it's not for them. So in order to pursue that would be a violation of sorts. And that's where it comes back to this association with the gods and where this could be something very literal because here's the family that, you know, the Dillman, Dillman's who's, the Dillman who's there and the Judd's being told, okay, stop looking for this. Like this, this tre- they don't really refer to it as a treasure. Like this treasure isn't for you in terms of mm-hmm. like it's, its monetary value, it has this other spiritual mm-hmm. and metaphysical power to it. Yeah. Where in the minds of modern day indigenous that possibly have these connections to the ancient Aztec are basically being like, we're, it's almost, it's very much like a coming of Christ type thing. It's like, this will be used one day for a reunification. It has powers beyond oh, the yeah. gold's value and whatever. Are you kidding me? That's exactly what I thought in my head. I was like, this does actually sound like it does sound like a second coming, a second wind for these people, so to speak. Yeah, when it's like yeah. after the rise and fall of petty Western civilization, all these ridiculous notions of grandeur and like vanity that we have in our society today, mm-hmm. for all that to get basically washed away in fires and floods and whatever else, and then right. and then this treasure is so so um, preserved and, and just locked into the earth that it's safe, right? And yeah. once it's once it's the time. It does very much remind me of a prophecy. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. very much like that. It's very and cool. It's, and it's like a holy relic, but just so much greater. Because yeah. it's because it's this whole mm-hmm. amassing of, of, of these various objects. Totally. Which is so, we we do look to a lot of these things. Uh, always. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Just, anyways. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's exactly what all these treasure hunters are doing. And but obviously they didn't find it on this exact property. Like on no. the Judd's property, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. It's another However, red herring. Uh, one of the brothers, Bill Judd, says even though he won't pursue the treasure anymore because of the, you know, the warnings that he will respect, he claims he does have an idea of where it might be. Right. But that he will respect oh, the the fact that it's not time and that he will just let it be. Yeah, he also he he also went on to say basically that part of that beyond just the straight respect is that he knew people that had been in the areas where he was thinking maybe that would be a good place to look uh-huh. where people go missing and where just sort of like inexplicable accidents had happened. Oh, and he was yeah. just kind of like sitting in there in that sitting in his chair in that interview just kind of like, you know, you look like the classic sly old man sort of mm. where it's just like, you know, I'm too smart to go there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? You might not believe me, but I'm not putting myself at risk Yeah, for that. And these people believe it. 
Mm-hmm. They've been there for long enough to deal that they've. It's more than just stories, which is. It isn't. Yeah, exactly. So the curse and endures. The curse endures, and it even gets even more cursy. <laughs> <This> <laughs> it gets chapter. more cursy. No, it actually does because obviously this wasn't the location, but there's another very close by one that uh, became the focus point, the focal point of the search. So enter the character of a Mr. Brant child. Though the details vary, okay, locals of Kanab and the surrounding areas still believed that the Aztecs dug somewhere around here to bury their treasure. And one of these places was an area called Three Lakes Pond. And the idea here was that there's speculation that perhaps the Aztecs had dug out some sort of a, dug this out, and then backfilled it, basically, Mm -hmm. using the water as a hiding place, a trap uh, on the west side of the pond, basically. And then they diverted it into a, you know, they diverted a river and then filled it up. So would be a pretty perfect place to hide a treasure. And this is exactly what Brant Child thought. So we're now up to 1989. He is a Kanab resident. He actually bought the pond itself and the surrounding area because he was so convinced that this Mm. would be the next place to look. And he knew of the Judds and obviously of the rest of the story. Yeah. But he had, he's basically said he knew that there was clues within the canyon that were decoys, very much like we were speculating with Freddy Crystal, like... You're digging on the, where the map tells you to, but you yeah. dug out in the wrong place. It yeah. says seven mountains, but does it really associate with the seven caves? Is that just a red herring? Exactly. Yeah, you have to wonder. And also, just like you mentioned here, this whole, like, he bought this pond, and they did actually allude to this idea that the water level in the pond had risen significantly in, yeah. in the hundreds of years since, supposedly, the treasure might have been deposited. Right. So he didn't, yeah, exactly. So he wasn't buying, it was in these other places. He thought it was Mm -hmm. about 36 feet down below the pond's waterline. And once again, though, like the petroglyph, he believed that this was indicated by a symbol on the cliff above Hmm. this area, Hmm. above the cave, essentially, because underneath the water, there's a cave where they would have to enter to try to find this treasure. So... He believed that this was the location and even the original homeland of the Aztec here in Utah and that the lake itself didn't exist at all when they would have arrived. So it made perfect sense that they would have been the ones to have built a dam to flood the valley to create this location. Interesting. So they created the lake itself. It was artificially created. Exactly. So the first thing he thought to do was maybe I'm just going to drain drain the lake. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense, I guess, because it's not very. It wasn't massive. Mm-hmm. He thought this would be the quickest way to get into the entrance, um, but of course, immediately he runs into opposition of this, not only from the residents of Kanab, but also from federal authorities. Yeah, it's like the Wildlife Fish and Game Department. Exactly, they came cracking down on old uh, Brant Child here because, as luck would have it, there was a weird association with an ancient animal mm-hmm. sacred to the Aztecs because this small little body of water happened to be home to a rare golden snail, otherwise known as the amber snail, that had only recently been put on put on an endangered <laughs> endangered endangered <laughs> species list. And when word got out that he was gonna drain the lake, they slapped him on the wrist real hard, basically saying, Hey buddy, if you do this, we're gonna count up the number of snails and you're gonna get charged fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars per snail if you drain this lake. So pretty nuts. That was kiboshed. Obviously, he's not going to be draining the lake anymore. Next natural thing, it's going to be a little more difficult to haul the treasure out. But of course, you got to get a dive team in there. Hmm. So he hires some local divers, but ones that had some experience. 
to see if they could find the entrance to the cave and at least pull out something, an artifact that would prove that this was this was the location. So he hires these divers. It's only 36 feet down. He's thinking that this is going to be really easy. But the curse strikes again. Because when the team attempted to dive, they had multiple different attempts, and each time something bad would happen. Mm. On the first dive, their equipment was constantly malfunctioning. Their air gauges were off. Uh, regulators were not cooperating at all. Some were just not getting oxygen at all and had to immediately resurface. They could find no reasons for the tanks having these issues. As soon as they were out of the water, everything was working totally fine. Strange, right? Cursed zone. Clearly, there's some sort of a force field or something. Mm-hmm. Whether Seemingly. you call it a curse, quote unquote, or like an energy, something's messing with them, clearly. The second dive, they have troubles with filling their tanks. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know what? we got to reset everything. They've ref- they go to refill them. They can't even refill them. So now there's problems on land, too. So we've got air tanks on divers malfunctioning. Then they're trying to just take some basic photography under the water to try to get a sense of this. The cameras won't work. They can't take any underwater photography. Hmm. So none of this tech is working within a few feet, basically. Sounds like a, what's called a Skinwalker Ranch scenario. It is almost very much like Skinwalker Ranch. It's weird, right? Strange, mm-hmm. inexplicable things. They keep occurring to, to, to this team. I wonder if there's a lot of... Oh, my gosh. Electromagnetic. Electromagnetic. There you go. <laughs> Anomalies. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's possible. Something to speculate on. Yeah. This is where it gets really freaky, though. Because it's one thing to have regulators not working. You're unable to fill your tanks, things like that. It's pretty scary, for one. But when they were actually able to get down to 36 feet, they allegedly saw ghostly figures and there was one piece of audio that was a diver communicating with the surface basically saying i can't breathe they're choking me get me out get me out and they claimed to see something that resembled human-like figures under hmm. the water that's like almost like the silver swimmers in that lake by collins right a little more ethereal but ghostly yeah bizarre right creepy man yeah so we've got the golden snail that's a so so that's the other thing too we can talk about that in in a second here i mean why don't we talk about the golden snail well that yeah that was an interesting twist there and that was one of the earlier blocks right they i don't know if they started to dive first and then they decided because of all the the hard work of the dive they decided to drain the lake and that's where they ran into the issues i thought that was the yeah you're right maybe that was the switch i I think i think uh, originally he did want to drain the lake and before the snail thing came up, it was just going to be too expensive. So he was like, oh, oh we'll just get divers in. But yeah. then they had all these problems. And then they were like, well, oh, yeah, no, let's go back go to the original idea, it, my yeah. first idea. Yeah. But, of course, not allowed. So Yeah, so that's interesting. So basically, just to touch on that, yeah, the Aztecs, they did use a special sort of amber-colored golden snail in rituals. And it was actually prominently featured on a couple of their gods. And it has to do with, like the idea of the shell itself representing the cycle of life and time, transition, even fertility, that all of those things were very much uh, central to this uh, the, the figure of the snail. Yeah, so that, that is kind of interesting. I don't know if it's this exact snail, but it's a very similar species of amber-colored snail because this snail that is in this Three Ponds Lake or whatever it's called, it only has two habitats. It's yeah. highly endangered. It's, so. it's, it's very much like the uh, <clears throat> tilapia guanasara, uh, those fish in, uh, or I guess that would have been a Patreon episode, but there's the two lakes, the only two lakes in Namibia, and there's mm-hmm. just the one that type of one fish, fish, and they're in that, in those two lakes. But before mm-hmm. I forget, I just want to say, 
how it's pretty fascinating the connection between what you just said where it's like uh, the sim- the snail was symbolic of time that's mm-hmm. fa- time transition like a new beginning fertility yeah and, rebirth and, and here yeah, it is at this location where the treasure is supposed to be this yeah. substance of the gods the key mm-hmm. to basically it's the key in the, the ignition of the this snails. new world basically well exactly and the snails are the, the keepers <laughs> yeah yeah. It's very symbolic. It's, it is. It's, it's highly fascinating. How serendipitous is that? It's almost like that's proof enough to me. You know, I don't even need the ghost figures or anything. Right? Snails are enough. Snails. Yeah. Who would have guessed? So after all this happens and the fish and game department threatened to shut down the entire operation because of all these different tactics and things, they decided to try drilling for the gold. So positioning a drill on top of this like ledge that was positioned over the lake above yeah. where they thought the entrance of the cave might be. Right. So, essentially, there was a local driller that was called into the scene to drill into this ledge of what they may believe may be this chamber. And the story goes that this drill worker, as he was getting ready to drill that day, he happened to look up after hearing a sound or just having a feeling like he was being watched, how the story goes. And he happened to see what he described as a ghostly Aztec warrior peering down at him in traditional dress and he happened to look away and glance back up a second later, only to see that he had disappeared. Right. So was this a sign, perhaps? Because later that morning, the drill had been drilling for quite some time, and they broke through what they thought might be this cave. And when they brought the drill back up, the drill bit brought up bits of gold. Yeah. So that's an amazing turn of events, right? It is. Could you imagine how excited you would be? And so they decided to put a camera into the hole. And allegedly, this camera picked up a room and it had a, an image of a door that they could see. And they could also see someone standing there. It wasn't a statue, as they described, but a man. It seemed like it was alive. Yes. And they also saw what they described as a pile of things that they couldn't quite make out in the camera because it was too dark. And so. Interestingly enough, after that day's events, the well driller, as he went back home for the evening, right. only to have a heart attack and die that same night. And a few weeks later, his wife was dead too. Of Duh. what? We don't know. If it was another heart attack or what. But is this part of the curse? A lot of people think so. And he broke through. He's he responsible did. for he penetrating yeah. possibly into this chamber. Potentially, yeah. And a lot of townsfolk believe this, including the man's brother, who refuses to go get the drill where his brother left it at the top of the hill uh, before he died. It was apparently, according to Branch Child, still sitting there. I think it was a decade and a half later. Because yeah. the family still owns the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son, Lon, Lonnie Childs, mm-hmm. um, was a part of all this as well. Yeah. But was quoted in a documentary as saying very similar to uh, uh, the Judds. You know what? We're wiping our hands of this. We're going to mm-hmm. let... We're going to let the treasure, the Aztec treasure and the indigenous treasure be for these people. It's not ours to take. And I think Brant Childs himself had a very similar sighting on the top of the cliff, very much like the the driller. He saw a traditional either Aztec warrior or just some sort of ancient, like, indigenous shaman-like character. Interesting. And that was assigned to him. And then, like, later, like you have here, and obviously he was told by... He was, again, warned by local indigenous elders to abandon his efforts and leave the gold where it lay. And he he was convinced. He decided to, like you said, Andrew, he packed up his, you know, his whole operation. 
and decided it, it should be preserved for the Aztec descendants and mm-hmm. used by the indigenous peoples for whenever that's supposed to, whenever it's prophecy supposed to come. That's right. And so, yeah, they, they do kind of hold on to this notion that they may know the location of this treasure. But unfortunately in September of 20, sorry, 2002, Brant Childs died in a car accident. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, it was before his time. And is this a product of the curse? We'll never know. But it is interesting just to speculate. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people die in car crashes, but this is another person on the list associated with this treasure search, right? And let's just say, just to give some context to who Brant Childs was, because we just referred to him as a local Kanab resident, but he actually was a highly accomplished treasure hunter. Yes. He he found and located, I I think, at least a couple of... He was... He He was was a resident after he bought the land and moved there. I guess that's that's what I should have said. Yeah, because he was very highly successful in other operations. He uncovered millions of dollars worth of treasure, if I'm not mistaken. It was, he was, yeah, quite successful. So this was his only failure, really. One of them, yeah. 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 It's, uh, and and that's just it. It's like, it may have not have been a failure if they kept pushing through, but would it have just been an earlier demise? I don't know. Would the curse have caught on a little earlier on? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's time to head into some final thoughts and theories here, because basically that's where the story sort of uh, doesn't end because people are still looking Mm -hmm. for this treasure. And now people have sort of, some have moved on from this idea of the three lakes being the location, or Mm -hmm. at least that if it is the location at the three lakes, that's only one of seven possible locations. Yeah, exactly. Corresponding to the seven caves. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the first place I'll touch on here for final thoughts and theories, this, the the fabled land of Atslan, the mythical homeland, this alleged possible paradise um, mm. to some. Although there's some speculation that, in fact, this early origin place of these people wasn't exactly a paradise. In fact, they there's some parts of the story that suggest that the ancient Aztec and other descendants were living under the control of sort of like a godlike sort of evil, tyrannical elite. Ooh, like uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so that their exodus was more about that. They were oh. was more about getting out. It wasn't an Atlantean-like paradise necessarily. Interesting. They but were that's after just, paradise, maybe. They're potentially. It. Almost like uh, Moses and the exodus of the Jewish people. Something like that. But I think it's just, there's a lot of just really cool correlations here. Like, obviously, all of these searches that we've talked about in modern times are like looking in caves. Right, you're digging through to find cave systems to try to find this treasure. Sure, caves are a natural place to hide something, mm-hmm. but there's this association here, a common thread, where you're putting the excrement or the substance of the gods in a cave, and then the origin story of these individuals, the uh, Chikomoztok, is the place of the seven caves. And we've talked about this before, where like even in the Kincaid Caves episode, this mythological emergence from an underground cave mm-hmm. system or under underworld realm is so common throughout ancient Mesoamerica and the ancient American Southwest. The Anasazi people the and the ancestral uh, Pueblo uh, indigenous peoples there. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Yeah, an emergence from an underworld into the current world. Exactly. Yeah. So if we are to believe that there's a connection between those people, the Ute language being one of the commonalities that connects them... It's like, could Atslan have been a very real place that was, like, reached via 
some of these underground connecting points, kind of like the Kincaid's Cave story. Mm-hmm. The entrance point was just to house 50,000, and then who knows what lieth beyond there, you know what I mean? Exactly. I don't know if you have anything hmm. to kind of comment on that. Yeah, no, there is all of these interesting connections between the Ute peoples, the, uh, yeah, there's just the American Southwest indigenous people, like you've already said. Because it makes sense, right? You you have an exodus from a, a mythical homeland. You go to a new homeland. You experience a period of hundreds of years, like, you know, a couple hundred of years where you're flourishing, only to have that disrupted by an outside power right. um, that may or may not be a false god, right? Where do you go after that? Where do you pick up the pieces? Do you go back to the mythical homeland? That obviously was a widespread belief amongst these people, right? It was something that was ubiquitous, right? Yeah, they, they, right. It was known, right? It was part of their epistemology. Would you go back there? Hmm. Yeah. Would they have been organized to go back? Like, you know, I'm thinking about the chaos that was ensuing in that rough 1920-21 time period. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that's a good question. That yeah. is a really interesting spot. We can speculate wildly, right? The other thing I wanted to just touch on again, because I mentioned it, close to the top with Adslan, Ads, I keep mispronouncing it, Adslan, Mm -hmm. is this kind of adjacent association or naming, if if you will, with Atlantis and the ancient, and and obviously its description Mm -hmm. as an island. Mm -hmm. But rather than an island in the sea or the ocean, it's described as possibly on a lake in Utah, perhaps. We speculated on this. But if that part of the story was maybe Mm. mixed up or something... Is there potential that Atlantis really is Atslan? They're one and the same. Could have been these sort of ancient, wow. this ancient mythical paradise yeah. of these people, and then and and so the Aztecs are really just kind of like the seven. They're the tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. They're one branch off of this former place because yeah. the story is basically the seven caves. People exited those and settled in Atslan. Mm-hmm. That was the, the paradise city after they had emerged from this potentially other dimension, if you want to think of it in a more mm, literal sense. A past sense. world. A past them. world. It's described as an underworld by some traditions. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, mm. I love it. I love all this stuff so, well, so much. And you have to remember, too, that the landscape hundreds, if not thousands of years ago was much different. There was shallow, shallow seas and things yeah. of that nature. And there was... You know, there's speculation that, well, obviously, um, what's it called? The Great Salt Lake was actually connected to the ocean at one point. Yes. So yeah. could there have been, you know, a lot more water around that would have led to this perception that Atlantis was in the middle of an ocean, so to speak, or in a sea. And, exactly. And this could have been, um, like we alluded to off the top of the episode, that, oh, that island. Oh, my gosh. What's it called at the top here? Fremont, I think. Fremont Island. Or yeah, like Yeah, Fremont Island. Um that could have potentially been it because it's a huge, huge island. Right. You know, like maybe this maybe this works. Maybe this fits. Absolutely. I don't know. The, um, do you want to just quickly touch on again the, the commonalities then? Because that's what would tie us to Fremont Island. Yeah, yeah. So that's, again, right. We, we There's a lot of people that have made the connections between the native Ute languages and then Aztec languages. And I can't remember the exact language. It was called like Azute. It was a different version, but its root was the same. Exactly. And this has led to many theorizing that the two cultures must have interacted or had some potential common origin way back in their history. Mm. So how far back could this ancient connection go? Nobody yeah. really knows. Right. Do they share the same origins? Again, nobody really has those answers. Could, could the Anasazi and the Aztecs be exactly that? Like, 
connected anciently as well. Right. You know what I mean? So here's another little just total paranormal thing to toss in at you mm. here. If they're connected, like literally in terms of their ancient ancestors, could the treasure in terms of like cave, cave systems of connectivity have been potentially like transported via caves? Like if it mm. disappears from the capital in Mex- modern day Mexico City now, it maybe wasn't transported by 2,000 slaves. Maybe there mm-hmm. was another another way of like via some sort of a, yeah. like that's how the gods transport stuff. That's back to the John A. Keel using it to co- move to and fro. Maybe they could have more quickly transported it to the homeland, Atslan, which would have been. <laughs> we got a very fantastical here. <laughs> okay, so I, I digress. Totally. You know, that's, that's a fun thought to think. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about that. And of course, a lot of it is high speculation and stuff like that. Sure. We can get into, um, just some other stuff too, that we haven't really talked about as far as like the state of the treasure itself and the idea that it could have, a large portion of it could have been modified. And this would have been supposing that the Spanish had their hands on a much larger percentage of this treasure loot than we have suggested so far. And... It has been proven that uh, well, the Spanish were melting down a lot of these precious metals for shipment. Yeah, of course. That they would have, basically what they were doing was converting these beautiful statues and all these ornamental things for easy transport into curved gold bars and silver bars and things like that. The conquistadors could actually place underneath their armor and move with them. So they are basically transport vessels for this treasure. Mm. And this uh, they've recovered these gold bars and silver bars with the bodies of dead soldiers in trenches and around the capital and other sites. Because they like fell that. off into the river and couldn't swim because they were carrying a little too heavy a weight, mm. some of them. Or they fell in battle, right? Well, obviously. Yeah, I just slain. remember hearing mm-hmm. some, some accounts where it was like, <laughs> greedy Spanish, they're carrying way too much. It's like the classic thing, right? And Please. then you end up uh, it maybe having to do a little swimming. Yeah. And it's, uh, you're carrying a little bit too much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sink like a stone. Exactly. But there's a lot of people that think about this in maybe a little bit more practical terms and the idea that it, much of the treasure could still be in and around the capital itself, right? Potentially. Whether or not Montezuma may or may not have made plans for this treasure prior to the arrival of Cortes and the conquistadors in the capital, mm. he may have hidden it regionally, right? What if there were other sacred sites, other temples, other locations that he might have spirited away portions of it that could have actually later been looted by more Spaniards, and then collected a mast and then basically just carted off a large portion to the Spanish crown. That's a Otherwise, possibility. You know what I mean? So a lot of people do think that it could still be in Mexico. And there was actually, in 1981, there was recoveries in Mexico City at a construction site um, that were tested and found to be gold of the same composition of Montezuma's era. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a, a four-pound chunk of gold that was... Uh, roughly valued in approximately $32,000 USD. And that was recovered at this construction site and is believed to be the first ever piece of Montezuma's treasure recovered since that night. And that was back in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. 1981, it was recovered. And uh, the Mexican president at the time, I can't remember who it was, he made a really big deal about it. (laughs) He was like really stoked. (laughs) Well, it's pretty pretty special. Exactly. So you have to consider that as well as one potential... You know, it's not as fantastical, not as fun to think about, but... Well, you know what? That does actually tie... That that same concept, though, of, like, modifying... Having these um, artifacts and treasures and statues possibly, like, modified for Spanish transport, and they're sort of... They they don't really look very special anymore, but it's Mm -hmm. just... It is gold still. Yeah. 
ties into some people who have speculated that we've already kind of mentioned the lost Dutchman mine, which mm-hmm. we've never covered directly on the show, but that was a, mm. a fabled lost mine that I believe it was, you know, a Dutchman, mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a miner who was Dutch, yeah. who had claimed to have found it and he was hauling out just these massive amounts of gold. And there were some that speculated that perhaps this guy, Jacob Waltz was his name, was finding some of this uh, deposited remnants of Aztec gold that had been modified. This has been refuted yes, um, because <laughs> because most of what he was pulling out was like placer gold, like it was unsmelted. Gold dust. Like, it was like basically it, like teeny tiny little fragments of gold it was classic, embedded into yeah. rock. It was gold you would find as a prospector would, yeah. like in ore, like and that you would have to get out of the ore. And he was just working right? really hard. He had a good little spot and he was working hard. That's a mystery for another day because that <laughs> lost mine has not been found. Although its hiding place being unknown would also make for a pretty good uh, American Southwest depository of Mm. modified ancient Spanish gold, potentially. So maybe there's some work around here where it is adjacently associated with the Dutchman, but we're going to move on from that because I don't think that's where it is. Although I do think that there is some of the Aztec treasure in the American Southwest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I definitely do buy Grand into Canyon's some Grand Canyon's another reputed spot where people think it might... We've already alluded to, yeah, like, uh, Kincaid's Cave is potentially one of those locations. That's right. Uh, there was another cave. I forgot to actually add it in here. I teased you guys that I was going to come back to it, where it, it's not that significant, though, because it is, again, very much basically exactly a Kincaid's Cave story where there was a prospector, you know, explorer... Right in and around the same time, we're talking mm-hmm. like Kincaid type era, like turn of the century, claiming to find artifacts of Aztec origin. Mm. They're not on display at the Smithsonian. They're not <laughs> to be found anywhere. So again, mm. we just have this bummer, this 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 story. But it's again, is that something that, like we talked about in Kincaid's, be covered up by authorities? Would it? Would people have wanted hmm. to have given potentially more? you know, credence and, and, and show the ancient like connections and power of the modern day peoples of the American Southwest to this, you know, the mighty Montezuma and the, the, the height of the Aztec empire. I don't know. Again, that's just straight speculation. I would like to think that it's in the Grand Canyon. That would be great. Mm -hmm. That would be great. I mean, ultimately, do you have a final theory on the treasure or just the story in general? Like, do you believe the curse to be true? Like, the stuff happening at the Three uh, Lakes Ponds is very yeah, strange, like, to say the, the least. The connectivity is tenuous, to say the least, because a lot of this relies on uh, Freddie's story, Freddie's testimony, his vision, the, the the idea that he was led to Kanab specifically by this vision and this connection to this petroglyph and things like that, that the petroglyph didn't even end up factoring into the initial dig at all, right? And it's just like all these very tenuous connections, which makes me think that Kanab is a total red herring. I don't believe the treasure is anywhere near. And if anything, I think hmm. the local indigenous elders might actually be referring to something else other than Aztec uh, wealth and other things than like that. You know what I mean? And maybe they're just like, you know what, guys? Yeah, it's just not for you. Maybe they have their own sacred special areas and they just, you know, maybe they have their own reasons, right? It's almost like the classic Scooby-Doo. And create it's not a monster, associated with the treasure. Create a monster to keep a place protected. If that's true. I'm, or a I, curse, I, you know I'm, what I mean? You know, like, that's but totally legit. I'm not discounting the idea that the Aztecs could have made an exodus out of Mexico City in and around the time of 
the Noche Triste and all that type of thing, and may or may not, or even before then, well before right. then, right? right? Because I don't think Montezuma was a dumb ruler. No. I really have read about him, and I've taken a couple of courses and things like that, and it's just like, it doesn't strike me as the type of To just let walk all of no, just get you know? walked on. It may be perceptibly just so they feel like they're one step ahead. And then, obviously, the Spanish are the ones writing the history books today. So they're the ones that are telling, laying out what happened, right? If if the Aztecs had won, we'd have a whole different history that we'd be reading about probably. You know what I mean? So, again, history is told by the winners. So It absolutely is. You're totally right. I will just say, though, like, well, despite, like, all those things you just said where it's like, yeah, it's based off Freddie's testimony. It's based off – he's literally – not ashamed at all, said, this came to me in a vision. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things. But they, he did find a cave system with weird chambers. The whole town did help him. It's like, th- yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a goose chase. Yeah. But a goose chase for what reason? Mm-hmm. There is a reason here. People just haven't hit it yet. They haven't... Reason, or what do you mean? Like, outcome. A reason for the decoy. There's got to be a purpose that someone plastered well, over just, an empty... It could have just been a series of unfortunate events. Like, not, no intention behind it at all. So someone no just dug that there, but that's way too serendipitous. I don't, I disagree. I yeah. entirely disagree with that yeah. because it's way too serendipitous mm. for him to find stuff with the, with the geographic markers to get the town to help him dig through. There's a series of clearly man modified or man made chambers with nothing in them. It's a total distraction. You know, the Dillmans shows up. Petroglyph is there. They dig. There's a bunch yeah. of bones, sacrificial bones, but it's not the treasure. Why? How? You should mm. dig and find nothing. Like if it's if it's just a total if there's nothing here at all. Well, the these judge that be, was totally separate, in my opinion. It's it's no, it is. It's separate, mm-hmm. but it's very strange that you would find anything at all. You're following clues. You're expecting to find a treasure. Instead, you find how? a massive sacrificial burial ground. Yeah. But how? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're talking about the judge. I'm going back to like Freddy's map. Even just the fact that he was able to find a map in the first place. Like maybe he made all this up. It, it subconsciously even he could have. Like you know. Just, just, just to have some I, sort of value and some sort of, like, life purpose for that you're working <laughs> towards, you know I just I mean? think that that's a really... It just, becomes so delusional, but maybe not. Maybe not. We could say that for literally every character in every episode of every story we've ever talked about. Oh, Is yeah. this person just totally crazy, making it all up for no reason at all? But, you, but the physical markers just sort of run contrary to that, though. Like, the, the bones, the caves, the markers, the... But it's the like markers, maybe the, adding things up that shouldn't be added up or equating things that maybe shouldn't be equated. You know what I mean? And I know, but you still get... How this map? How, how, like, you know, when when they describe how, like, oh, like, he held it up and it all aligned. It's like, how many other mountains would that maybe align with? You know, seven mountains in a row, if you're looking at it from a specific, you know, like perspective but would he go but would he go to another one of those potentially similar geographical landmarks find a similar type area to dig and then find another plastered over Mm. cave that leads to nowhere like probably not well he had six years to set us all up what if he literally set up the entire town Amber, so you're, so you're this, you know what this I don't is? think he's that nefarious you know what that reminds me of that's the line from <laughs> elaine where she's like so you guys are saying that mom and pop move into the neighborhood establish trust for 48 years and then run off with jerry's shoes this was their master plan like that's basically what you're saying here i know Freddy's yeah. master plan was to basically do was that to and then get murdered case. without having found anything. Yeah. Or I genuinely think money. he believed in what he was doing. I right. genuinely believe that. But at the same time, I don't even know if I genuinely believe Freddie was a real person. 
Like, you know I mean? like if he was under a false name. Yeah, like, well, yeah, like the Freddy that... You keep saying, like, he was a real person. He was a... There was a real was human a being there who, telling people the treasure was there. Yes, yes. It's just really hard to find a lot of, like, outside corroborations that are, like... Well, clearly Freddy is an abbreviate... Like, Fre- is it you know, Frederick? Is it Fred? There wasn't a lot of it... newspaper articles written about this. There were, you know, it's just, like, it is very intangible. He's a very intangible person. Yeah. Which it reminds me of, like, you know, uh, like, the vagabonds, the, the, the bums, the, like, you know, the traveling wanderers of time sure. past. That's exactly what he was, right? So maybe there is in the record. Maybe, yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not discounting the whole thing. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's a few things that kind of, like, are, like, ding, I don't know, mm, yeah, mm, No, I, yeah. I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. I will, my final thought will basically be saying that I, I don't disagree, but I do believe that there's at least some element of this treasure in and around either this area, like the the the, the Kanab area with, with uh, Branch Child and these stories, or at least somewhere in the American Southwest, because mm-hmm. the indigenous peoples that are saying things to them yeah. imply that it is, like imply that they're on the right track, but don't go there, basically. Mm-hmm. Like why, you know, it's, I don't know, like it, it's almost just seems like stoking the flames in some regard too, for no reason, like Maybe, on their part. Yeah. It's like, why would you tell well, them at all that they're, why would you even tell anyone at all? Why would you just tell them like, that's ridiculous. There's nothing here. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I find it all very strange. Uh, yeah. We want to know what you guys think. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) I follow you to a certain degree. I do think that there is Aztec treasure still to be found. I still think that there is probably, you know... Could an army of ancient Aztec soldiers be guarding the treasure as ghosts and spirits, though? So we would love to hear your thoughts on that, because that's what the divers claim to run into. Yeah, that was very freaky. How massive could it have been? That's another thing. Like, we'd love to get you guys' perspective on. Mm -hmm. And could it have been transported one way or another to the mythical and fabled land of Aztlan. Mm, wherever that may be. Wherever that may be. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in our known physical world or perhaps beyond. Maybe it was just a transference point in the American Southwest. The origin, the seven caves, if you will. <laughs> so that's that basically brings us to the end. Um, I do have a final few things, though, we wanted to mention because we have a couple of projects we're associated with that are coming down the pipe really soon. So some very interesting things are coming from Dark Artifacts, mm-hmm. which is this a brand that we're associated with. So go check out Dark Artifacts on Instagram. It's just getting started. Uh, but essentially, it's based around an international society that's collected and preserved relics, totems, and treasures that are soon to be released from their vaults. It's a series of wearable artifacts, uh, ancient silver and bronze and soon to be gold as well as some exclusive digital treasures as well mm-hmm. exclusive and one of one of a kind uh, collectible nfts this is all coming very soon so follow dark artifacts on instagram and of course don't forget to follow us into the portal podcast on instagram and the network we're a part of straight up strange productions at strange pods on mm-hmm. instagram and then straightupstrange.com is the website for that but dark artifacts is going to be literally the coolest thing we've ever been a part of i'm really excited to be really a part of it stoked. so make sure you guys check it out and stay tuned for that uh as always we have uh just we have the shout outs to our amazing production team what, what? our producers adam kellums adam kellums Nightwing. We got Kitsune, Kitsune. <laughs> Jackson Greenberg, and of course, Molly the, Molly dog. the dog. You guys are all awesome. We couldn't do this without all of you. 
and shout out to all of our uh, our Patreon supporters. And There's, all of our listeners. All of our all listeners. You lovely folks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't checked us out on Patreon, uh, hit the link in the show notes below. We just put up a new episode on the Jabafofi monster spider of the Congolese jungle, as well as some stories of giant spiders in the Amazon as well. So arachnophobes, stay clear uh, of that one. No, it's super, <laughs> it's super fun. I'm an arachnophobe, so it worked out. But that's basically it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This was a, a long one, a detailed one. And again, hit us up. So at uh, you can DM us at those uh, the socials we gave you there before, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. We love to get your suggestions, feedback, uh, and just anything. We'd love to chat with you. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the show, smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. It really helps us defeat the algorithm mm-hmm. and uh, we can uh, keep branching out with Into the Portal. Anything mm-hmm. else, Amber? I think that's it for today. All right. Well, until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.